0: With God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John, the Apostle John, begins his Gospel with the pre incarnate Word of God, who was with God before the world was made, who As he says, was God. All things were made by Him. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Apart from Him, that is the Word, that is Jesus Christ, the world would not be. It would not exist. John begins his gospel with the transcendent God. Pure, as he says, light and life. In him, that is Christ, is no darkness at all. And then, all of the sudden, look down to verse 6. Then, all of the sudden, John goes from the infinite God to finite, fallen man. You would expect him to go on about the person of the word. You would expect him to go on describing Jesus Christ. But instead, in verse 6, it reads thus. There was a man sent from God. And you're thinking, oh, I know the man. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the God-man. But he goes on even further. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not Jesus, but John. John the Baptist, that is. He was sent, as we've been studying in the Gospel of Matthew, to prepare the way. He was sent to prepare the way, to be the herald, to prepare the people of Israel for Messiah. He came announcing the Messiah, announcing the Christ. And so John was like the opening act, if you will. He was the announcer and the harbinger of Messiah. He was, as we read a few weeks ago, God's Elijah. Let's read verses 6, 7, and 8 now. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. Do you see the repetition in the first three verses, 6 to 8? The emphasis is falling on the fact that John the Baptist is a witness. And John the Beloved, the writer of this gospel, says he was sent as a witness to bear witness. He wasn't the light, but he was there to bear witness of the light. And you hear it, witness, witness, witness. And the Greek word is marturion, where we get the word martyr from. But John himself was sent to be a witness, to prepare the way, to bear witness, and really to point to the light, to point to another. And you might be thinking, a light? Who needs to bear witness of a light? If you're in a dark room, light draws attention to itself. Light shines in the darkness and you don't need someone necessarily to point it out. You just naturally look at light. Light is its own witness. Listen to one Puritan. He writes, unless, of course, your eyes are shut, unless, of course, you're blind, then a witness is absolutely necessary. And let me say that Christ's light needs no man's witness. But our darkness requires a witness. Our darkness requires a John the Baptist, if you will, a preacher, as Paul said in Romans chapter 10, one who would go and proclaim and declare tidings of good news. Our darkness and our blindness require a witness. Non Christian, these services are designed for you. We're, we're, we're here putting this service on because. We want you to hear the gospel because that is essentially what Christmas is all about. It's about Christ and it's about his gospel truth. Non Christian, there's no easy way for me to say this, okay? You're blind. You're blind. And it's hard to say that because there's really no easy way to say it without sounding arrogant. But let me say to you that I'm speaking as one who is born just as blind as you are. And God commands blind people to look. He commands, hear that, blind people to look. Look to the light. Not to the preacher, not to me, but to Christ, who the text describes as the true light. How will and how does God open blind eyes? When the blind look. When the blind say, I want to see, I want light to shine on my darkness. When the blind, apart from their own ability, look, then God gives light and it shines and the day dawns. The Apostle John, who writes this gospel, writes so that all who read... And here the words of this gospel might believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He writes this gospel so that you might look, that you might look. And the stated purpose of John is given in chapter 19 and verse 35 and here from John himself. And he writes in the third person, he who has seen and testified, that is John, his testimony is true and he knows he's telling the truth, John writing about himself. And he says this, so that you might believe. John is testifying. He has a testimony, and it's true, he says. And I'm testifying so that you, reader, listener, might believe in the truth. Now, who's the truth in the Gospel of John? Who is the truth? Oh, Pastor, you misspoke. You mean, what is the truth? No. Who is the truth in the Gospel of John? John 14, 15. Jesus says, I am the truth. Christ is the truth. He is the person of the truth. He is the incarnation of the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. Jesus said to Pontius Pilate as he stood right before his condemner, as we studied last week. He says to Pontius Pilate, and here's really the reason for Christmas and why we celebrate this Advent. He says to Pontius Pilate, for this reason was I born, Pilate, and I've come into the world. And here it is, to bear witness to the truth having been condemned by his own people, the Jews, and he was standing before this Gentile Pontius Pilate, disheveled, bloodied, beaten, bruised, and swollen, he says to him, Pilate, everyone who hears my voice hears the voice of truth. And he's implicitly saying to Pilate, follow me, Pilate. Embrace me, Pilate. Believe me, Pilate. And that's what Christmas is about. It's about Christ. It's about hearing the gospel and responding to the King. It's about responding to Jesus the Savior. It's about responding to Christ the Messiah. It's about responding to Emmanuel as we sung God with us. That is what Christmas is about. That is what this church is all about. That is what this service is all about. And that's what Christianity is all about. And I pray that God would open hearts and blind eyes In and through the preaching of his word as we worship together. So, with that, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we all come in need. And admittedly, Lord, there's some who are in greater need than others because their sins have not yet been forgiven. And so the hour is urgent. Your word is critical. Lord, I pray that the gospel truth, Christ himself, the true light, who came to shine on all men would open blind eyes. And Lord, I pray that they would hear the word, confess darkness, and turn to your very light. We thank you again for this season. And Lord, it's not just a time where we celebrate your coming, but also your cross. And Lord, more than just this time of the year, our lives are a demonstration of your life. Our lives are a celebration of who you are and what you taught. We commit ourselves to you and our time to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you read with me now verses 6 to 13? I've read pieces of it and we've almost already begun, but let's read verse 6 down to 13. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The outline this afternoon for this text is thus John, the witness, man's darkness, John's witness and man's darkness, point number two, and lastly, we'll end with God's light. John's witness, man's darkness, and God's light. So, firstly, John's witness. In fact, we've already begun. We've already read verses 6 to 8 multiple times. There was a man sent from God, sent of God. John the Baptist was a man on a mission. He was sent of God, commissioned by God to accomplish a specific task. He was not of men nor of the will of men. He did not have his own agenda. And when his mission was accomplished, John the Baptist faded into the background. John himself said that Jesus Christ must increase and I must decrease. John himself said, Christ must increase and I must decrease. There is one who is greater than me, who is before me, and he comes after me. John's ministry was a mile marker, okay? So John the Baptist was essentially the green freeway sign, and Christ was just over the hill so that when the traveler arrives at and reaches destination, or rather, I should say, if I want good theology, the destination reaches the traveler, when Christ is come, No one is thinking about the green freeway sign. No one's thinking about the mile marker because the purpose of John's ministry was to reveal another. The purpose of John's ministry was, as we read over and over again, to be a witness. And so he comes, verse 7, as a witness, to bear witness to light. So that, and here's the stated purpose, all might believe. So that all might believe he came to bear witness. And just so we don't forget, the Apostle says it in verse 8 again. Look at the repetition. He says it this time in the negative. He, that is John the Baptist, was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He taught people then to look through himself to Christ. Through the preacher, as it were, to the one preached, that is Christ. John was but a beam, and Christ is the Son John was, John w- was simply a shadow, and Christ is the substance. John was the agent of belief; Christ is the object of our belief, and the object of belief. And as we said, we don't need someone to point light out to us, right? We're sitting in darkness. We don't need someone to draw our attention to light. It draws, in fact, attention to itself, unless, of course, unless, of course, that dark place is our souls. Unless, of course, we've shut our eyes. Unless, of course, we're blind. And while, verse 10, true light has come into the world and shines on all men. Hear that? Light has come into the world. It shines on everyone. But that doesn't mean that everyone sees the light. It shines upon you whether you recognize it or not whether you open your eyes or not. And this text says, look at verse 9, that the true light shines on all men. But again, that doesn't mean that all see it. In fact, verse 10 says that the world did not see it. They did not know Him. And look at verse 11. His own, He came to His own, and His own did not even see it. They did not receive Him. So the light shone. The light was shining, but fallen man is blind. They don't want to see the light. And so they've shut their eyes and retreated into the dark dungeon of their own hearts. And John was sent of God to bear witness. He was sent of God to bear witness so that all might believe, so that we might believe. And while the reader is optimistic, because we read the first six, seven, eight verses here, the reader is optimistic. Yes, God has come into the world. He's visited His creation. In Him was life, the text says in verse 3, and that life was the light of all men. Yes, the true light is coming and has come into the world. And the reader's very optimistic until the wind is taken out of their sails and our sails. Verse 10 says this. He was in the world. Yes, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. John's witness falls on dead ears. It falls on dead ears, and so now, man's darkness. Man's darkness. John chapter three. Why don't you turn there? Let's turn to John three. That's close enough. That's a few pages down. Let me read. Verse 19 of chapter 3. And we're so familiar with John 3.16. But we need to read in context and read the whole verse. In fact, if we look at John 3.16, it begins with 4. 4 is a subordinate conjunction indicating a reason for what was said previously. That's not even the main idea. And so often we make John 3.16 the main idea. But in the flow and the argument of John's gospel, that's not the main idea. In the dialogue that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And so that's enough there. Let's just read the text here. That's not in my manuscript. That was for free. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation. Oh, I thought everyone who believes he sent his son into the world because he so loved the world. Yes. But God is not one who just talks about love and doesn't talk about the reality and the need to be born again. Condemnation is on the horizon. God's love is everywhere. Condemnation is on the horizon. This is the reality of the gospel. Okay, I got to stop interrupting myself here. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Secondly, man's darkness, man's darkness. Now, man's darkness, turn back to John chapter 1, is demonstrated really in the progression of thought in verse 10. He, verse 10, that is Christ, who is the true light, He was in the world. He was here, okay? True light, creator God was here. And the verse goes on, the world that he was in and that we're all in was made through him. He was the creator. He was the creator who became creature. He was the creator who dwelt among us. And that's what we celebrate in the Advent season. That's what we celebrate during Christmas. Now just let me back up here and put a little parenthesis in. He was in the world. He, capital H, the person of God, creator God, stepped into the creation. That's amazing. That God would come into this fallen world. That he would come to be Emmanuel, God with us. Which is to say this, he left his heavenly home for a hell-forsaken world. He left the world of glory for a fallen world of shame. He left the heavenly communion that He enjoyed with His heavenly Father to be rejected and despised. Philippians 2 says the one who was infinitely worthy made Himself of no reputation. The one who is King of kings and Lord of lords came to be a servant. The infinite God came in the likeness of finite men. The one who is and possesses infinite dignity in and of himself humbled himself. The life giver who was life himself came and he died even on a cross. So here's the condemnation. Here is the darkness. Verse 10. He was in the world. He made the world. And the world didn't know Him. It didn't know Him. Light shines, verse 5, into the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It did not understand the light. What about you this Christmas? What about you for the next few days and really for the rest of your life? Have you recognized your Creator? Do you know Him? I'm not talking about a superficial knowledge. I'm not talking about an intellectual The certain facts. We're going to vote on the doctrinal statement. You can agree and say, yay, amen, to all of those things. But what about you? Do you know? Do you know Christ? Do you know your Creator? Do you know God? Do you know Him personally, relationally? Do you know Him intimately? Because nobody denies that Jesus was in the world. Everybody believes that there was a man named Jesus who was in Israel, and He was in the world, if you will. Duh. Everybody knows about Jesus, But what John means by the world did not know Him is that the world did not, verse 12, believe in His name. Verse 13, the world was not born of God. They were not born again of God. And so, the darkness of man's heart says that they reject Him. If God is light and in Him is no darkness at all, then man is darkness, and in him is no light at all. So dark is man that when light shines, our text says that they didn't recognize it. They didn't recognize it. They did not receive it or even comprehend the light. Sin has destroyed all of our faculties inasmuch as light shines and it's incomprehensible to us. Sin has destroyed our faculties inasmuch as We can't even recognize our Creator when He's standing just before us. Or maybe I should say this. Maybe I should say that sin has actually perverted our faculties so that we do recognize light, yet we love darkness. Maybe I should say that we do recognize our Creator But sin has so perverted us that when He stands just before us, we don't want to bow the knee, but we want Him dead. We want Him crucified instead. Oh, the darkness of fallen man. And beloved, as if it couldn't get any worse than the world rejecting Him, it does get worse. Look at verse 11. He came to His own, and His own received Him not. This rejection pierces closer to the heart than what preceded. What preceded was a general rejection, but now we have Jesus walking into His own home, and rather than an embrace, He walked into His own home to His own people, to His own kind, to His own nation, and rather than an embrace, they hung Him on a cross. Rather than acceptance, He was despised and rejected. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Again, let me back up an application here. What about you? What about you? Will you recognize Him when He comes and has come? Will you receive Him this Christmas? And some of you might be asking, as you're listening to this, you might be asking this question, how can I, though, How can I in my darkness receive the light? And there's the contrast. How can I, you just described me as blind, how can I in my blindness see anything much less light? And if you're asking that question, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. Now, if you're not asking that question, then you need to go back to the witness. You need to go back to John the Baptist. You need to go back to the Word preached and declared. And what you need to do is you need to confess darkness. And so here's the outline. John the witness, man's darkness. What you need to do if you're not asking that question, okay, is go back to the Word of God, to the gospel of God, to what you've heard, to consider your darkness, your sin, to confess it so that, so that you might receive the light so that you might ask with everyone else who's asking in this room, how can blind people see? How can I, a blind, darkened sinner, see light? That's the imperative question. And that's the question that the trembling heart asks that's poised and prepared to receive. And here's the last point, God's light. God's light. My last point this afternoon, God's light. While the world did not recognize and receive Him, while he is despised and rejected, yet, some of your translations say, yet. Oh, thank God for the yets of Scripture. Yet, as many as did receive him, because there are a few whose blind eyes have been opened, where the children of wrath, Ephesians 2.3, become children of God where the enemies of God, Romans five ten, become the sons and daughters of God. Verse 12, yet as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And lest you get ahead of yourself here, lest you say, oh, well, I have to receive him. It's up to me. After I believe in His name, then I have the right to become a child. I have rights after all, don't I? Lest you get ahead of yourself. Me, 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 I, I, I. It's what I do and thus nullify the sovereign grace of God. Let me remind you that blind people just don't decide to see. They must be given sight. And that's exactly what he says in 13. Look down to verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Three clauses to describe and to emphasize something, that you're not doing it. You don't cause God's light to shine, God shines. You don't open blind eyes, God opens blind eyes. What part of the birth process and your birth process did you participate in? None of it. You were born. You were given birth. And so too, in the gospel, it's compared to a birth. Who were born of who? skip all the clauses, of God. they have been born of God and not of ourselves. Absolutely none of it is up to us. And so too with the second birth and our salvation. It is holy and completely of God. God must save and God alone, apart from which we will not receive Jesus Christ, apart from which our blind eyes will not be opened, And we will certainly not be given the right, verse 12, to become children of God. Salvation and faith is not passed from parent to child, okay? Some of you children who have grown up in the church know this. Salvation is not passed through bloodline. Grace does not run through our veins like corruption does. A Puritan writes, man polluted and corrupt brings forth sons in his own pollution, in his own likeness. But man saved and sanctified does not bring forth sons in that likeness. Which brings us back to the question, how can a blind and deaf man see and hear? Are you ready for the answer? He can't. unless God does something, unless God opens eyes. And beloved, God is merciful. God is gracious and kind. And He's kind to those who plead for mercy. He gives grace to those who plead, God, open my eyes. How can the blind see? Simple. They ask the light to open their eyes. They ask the eye-opener to open theirs, and He will. He will, not because you willed it or we willed it, not because it was a product of flesh and blood or the will of man, but because God shows mercy, but because God is willing and causes us to be born. Verse 13, how is this done? When the witness points to the light, Look at the light when the witness points to the light, and then the one who receives that witness confesses their darkness and pleads for God's mercy and grace, not again because they deserve it, but simply because God is gracious, and then He gives, and He gives in abundance. God loves people who are desperately looking for Him, and He loves desperately blind people who are looking for Him. He loves blind people who know they're blind and are looking for the true light. Remember old Bartimaeus by the roadside? When I was uh, being candidated for this church, I preached a sermon out of Mark chapter 10 about a blind guy named Bartimaeus who sat by the roadside. And he heard that Jesus was passing through, and he was in Jericho. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and Bartimaeus hears. He simply hears because he's blind. He has no other sense to know that Jesus is coming. And so he hears the procession. They say, Jesus is passing by. And so what does he do as a blind person? You don't see blind people jumping around, usually. I've never seen one. But this man, the text says, jumps up. And he begins to cry out. And he begins to, Jesus, son of David. He doesn't know where he is because that's what blind people do. They cry out when they need someone. Help, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. How will the blind see? How will you in your darkness receive him? You cry out to him. And the heart that cries out is the heart that believes in his name. And the heart that cries out to him and believes in his name is the heart that has been given the right and the privilege to become a child of God, a son and daughter of God. The same heart is the heart that's screaming out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Turn to John 9. Turn to John 9. In the context of John 9, Jesus has just healed a man who was born blind. And this man returns to the synagogue, and they cast him out because he's been healed by Jesus. Let's read John 9 in verse 35. Jesus heard that they, that is the Pharisees, the, the rulers of the synagogue, had cast him, that is the one who was healed, out. And when he had found him, that is Jesus, Jesus finds this guy. He says to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That's a picture of the Christian life. Look at verse 39. Here's my point. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world. That doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? Well, it doesn't sound like the Jesus that the world puts forward, or maybe loosey goosey Christianity puts forward, seeker friendlyism and inviting everyone, oh, sign a card, say a prayer. The Jesus of the Bible begins thus For judgment I came. And here's the judgment that those who do not see may see. And i got to pause here. That's so beautiful. I came for judgment so that the blind people would see. And here's the judgment. Let's keep going here. And that those who see may be made blind. That's an amazing phrase, isn't it? Because there's a bunch of people who think they see. Oh, I don't need a Savior. And Jesus says, I came here for judgment, because you who think you see, I've come to declare to you that you are blind. And for those who say, I'm blind, Jesus, I need mercy, he says to them, see, you're healed. And he goes on, and then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said to him, are we blind also? Well, they pick up on what Jesus is saying, because they're surely the ones who think they see. And Jesus says, Are we, or the Pharisees say, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. Oh, did you hear that? It's those who confess their blindness who are made right before God. And Jesus goes as far as saying, You have no sin, it's been taken care of. But he goes on, But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. How will the blind see? By simply asking God to open their eyes. God's light. It's those who believe in His name who are His children, who believe in His name. Look at that word, believe. Look at that word in John 1. Turn back here. verse 12 at the end, who believe, who believe, who believe in His name. And that belief is not flimsy or fickle. That belief is not temporary or temporal. It's habitual. It's continuous. It's not seasonal. It's not circumstantial. Because temporary Christians are not Christians. His children are those who believe and continue to believe. Well, believe in what, you ask? Simple, in the name. And the name is more than a place card. The name represents the person in His work, Who's the name? Jesus Christ is the name. Those are His children. The children of God are those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, who He was, what He taught, and what He came to accomplish on behalf of unworthy, blind, sinners, non-Christian. He came as God incarnate. We sung it. Emmanuel to be the Savior of the world. Why? Because you need a Savior. Well, why do I need a Savior? Very simple, because you're a sinner. In fact, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus Christ came to be the perfect substitute and the perfect sacrifice for all who would trust in and look to Him. He came to pay for their sins in His death on the cross, to pay for sin and absorb all of the holy wrath that God had against sinners. And He came to do that, to satisfy God and to intercede on behalf of man. Which is why Timothy says that there's no one, but there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. So that those who believe in his name, so that all who believe in who he was and what he came to accomplish, who receive him, will be born of God, children of God. That's what he came to do. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about Christ. It's about our Savior, and it's about salvation. Turn with me before we close in a word of prayer to Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of the Gospels. And Basil read it eloquently to begin our service. The account, according to Matthew, of the birth of Christ. One of my favorite verses. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ in verse 18 was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And here's the angel, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do You believe in his name, that he's the Savior, then receive him as such and give glory to God. Let's pray together. Light of the world, step down into darkness. Open our eyes. Let us see. Beauty. Beauty that makes this heart and our hearts adore you and the hope of life spent with you. We're here to worship, Lord. We're here to give you glory. We're here to remember what you've done from cradle to the grave and now seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. We rejoice and celebrate all that you are for us. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.